verse 7 to 29. Calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over evil spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said, he is Elijah, and still others claimed, he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had given orders have John arrested, and he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. For Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But she was not able to, because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to Finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, he pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the girl, Ask me for anything you want, and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, Whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my <coughs> She went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist answered. At once the girl hurried into the king with the request. I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in the prison, and brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. On hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in the Thanks a stack for that, Anika. You did an excellent job. Morning, everyone. Here now, ma'am. Of the blood and gore, I guess, that we just read about. I recently had to book uh, an airfare travelling from Brisbane to Sydney. And I looked at two fares. first one I looked at struck me as a little bit pricey. I thought, gee, that's a bit expensive. I 
There was something like $120, I think. I thought, I think I can do better. I can buy something cheaper. So I looked at a second option. And I caught a flight, or my eye was caught by a flight that was only 80 bucks. And I thought, this is it. Much better. And so I started to proceed with the booking. And as I went along with the booking, discovered, many of you may have discovered, you know, I got charged for the seat that I was going to sit on. I got charged for the luggage that I intended to take and needed. I thought I was going to start getting charged for the use of the seatbelt and maybe the safety demonstration. And, you know, sure enough, in the end, I did get charged again for the use of my credit card with which I booked this flight. And I kind of thought towards the This was a cheap mic. Should have gone for the expensive one. All right, I'm turning this one off, guys, and then I won't undress myself here by trying to remove it. I'll save you all that. You know, the Christian life of following Jesus may well have been sold to you as a cheap flight. The $80 option. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe there is perhaps still in us the understanding that if, if I'm going to follow Jesus, what I'm going to get is, is my life is going to be fulfilled. If I raise my children on godly values, what I get is increased chances that my kids may turn out okay. So I'm going to raise them according to the values of Christianity or, or whatever other benefit you think that this is a good deal to follow Jesus that you are attracted to. Now, don't get me wrong. You are going to get a lot of fulfillment. We're going to get a lot of blessings in this life from following Jesus. What I want to talk about this morning is the stuff that may not yet be present in your understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. The bits that Christians often discover much further down the track things that aren't perhaps as lucrative or as attractive as it 
may have been to us in the beginning about this, this life of discipleship, following this man, Jesus, and his, his authority that he seeks to have over our lives. And this passage that we read this morning, I think, gives us three insights, three things that we should know that is involved in the life of following Jesus. And that's what I want to work through today. To start off with, get my slides to work. No, they are not working. My computer is completely dead, which is okay. You'll just have to listen. We're having a tech feast today. Um, First thing, first thing we need to know about following Jesus. Following Jesus means working with Jesus. Following Jesus means working with Jesus. Mark and Ryan, would you guys mind just pulling the biblical text up behind me? Just the passage that we read. Just so we have that in in front of us. Or if you have your Bible, we're in Mark chapter 6. Following Jesus means working with Jesus. Jesus called his 12 disciples, we read, and he sent them out. He empowered them. He said, you guys now go and you do what I have been doing. Up to now in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is the one who does everything. You know, he performs the signs and the wonders. He preaches. He teaches. People flock to him from everywhere. And just when you think that this is going to be this giant celebrity one-man show, at this point, Jesus calls 12 people who he called to follow him to him. And he says, all right, for the next little step, here you go. You go. You go and do what I have done. Calling the twelve to him, he sent them out two by two. He gave them authority over evil spirits. They went out, we read in verse 12, and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons. They anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. They are doing what Jesus has been doing. Friends, I'm sure of it that you have wondered many times perhaps, what is the purpose of your life? If you're involved in in a life that is seeking to follow Jesus, you may have wondered, what is the point of being a Christian? What is my purpose? Why am I here? And indeed, why am I a Christian? Well, your primary purpose is not to come to church. It's not to read the Bible and pray every day. I'll I'll stretch it further. It's not even to try and sin less. Please, do not get me wrong. These things are not negotiable in the life of a Christian, but they are a means to an end. The end, the purpose of our lives is mission. (laughs) We exist. You exist for the sake of those who do not know who Jesus is and what he can do and what he seeks to do in this world. In, in pathway language, if you go to church here, encourage and empower exist for the sake of ignite. You could even say encourage and empower are servants of ignite. I once heard it said by a preacher that The church is the only organization in the world who exists for its non-members. Wow. (laughs) 
right on cue. Uh, the church is the only organization on earth that exists for its non-members. Uh, mission. That's our purpose. That's why, that's why we're here, participating in, in the work of Jesus. And with that in mind, can I, can I ask you, as I ask of me, I guess, a lot of challenging questions when it comes to my life. How well does my expenditure of time, money, and energy reflect this truth? How often do I measure my faithfulness to Jesus in terms of actions that are perhaps about encouraging or empowering? And how much, how much do I measure it in terms of igniting? How many non-Christians do I know? How much time do I spend with people who do not know Jesus? How well do I love them? How heavy a burden is it on me and a passionate desire that they may come to know Christ and my, my actions, my diary, my thoughts, my prayers reflect that? It should because my primary purpose is to ignite their faith. I'm not raising these questions today, church, to raise guilt or fear. Uh, and nor am I going to seek to answering them, to be answering them today. You know, next year, if you come to Pathway, I hope that in the first part of next year, we're going to delve into this really deeply. A bit like what we did with the prayer series. We talked about all the ins and outs of prayer. I'm hoping that next year we can talk about all the ins and outs of mission. What exactly is it that, that God wants us to do here? How exactly do we do it? Community hubs. Um, what exactly do I need to do when it comes to this mission that Jesus is, is shaping my life around? There are so many questions, so many things that we, we could explore. And I'm hoping that, that as we journey on as a church and as we get into next year, that we will indeed just talk so much more about what this mission looks like. Not only do I want us to understand this mission well, I want us to fall in love with it. <laughs> I want us to go that this is the best thing that Christ has called us into, that we get to work with Him. We understand what it means, and we love doing it. Our primary purpose as followers of Christ is mission. That's the first thing we see. The second thing is not so much something we need to do. It's an attitude we need to possess. Following Jesus means trusting in Jesus and not in ourselves. Following Jesus means trusting in Jesus. Look at what he tells his disciples as they go out on this mission. He says to them, take nothing for the journey. Nothing. <laughs> no bread, no bag, no money. Wear sandals, but not an extra tunic. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. He doesn't tell them which house, what house, just a house. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave. This is sort of a Jewish thing that uh, just says that if, if someone didn't treat you well, shake the dust off, off your feet, uh, just as a uh, sort of like a ceremonial cleaning after walking in unclean territory. Everything in our human mind is in some ways 
geared against this. When you ask a girl out on a date, you do a lot of research. You want to be sure at least 75 to 80% sure that this girl is going to say yes. When you have to marry someone, you almost want to be 99% sure that they're going to say yes. So you do a lot of homework, right? Uh, we find out. Before we start a business, we do a viability study. We want to be at least up to a very high percentage sure that this business will work. Before making any major financial commitment, we want to ensure that we have the income to sustain it. It's deeply ingrained in us to shore up security for success, to eliminate risk as much as we can, to predict and prepare for as many contingencies as we can and as far in advance as we possibly can. We want to be in control. And when it comes to this work of Jesus, he says, take nothing. You are absolutely, entirely dependent on me. Someone once said, the most astounding thing about the mission of the church is that God is calling us to do what only he can do. God is calling us to do what only he, he can do. For this mission that we're embarking on, we need to trust him like these disciples needed to trust him. We have to trust him when we hold out the gospel to people. We have to trust that the Holy Spirit will work. We have to trust him when we do our finances as individuals and families that we can give generously towards the mission of Jesus and he will provide for us. We have to trust him as a church. When we as a church consider ministry initiatives that requires extra funding that we do not have right now, we need to trust that he can and that he will provide. I'm not saying we need to be stupid. I'm not saying we need to be irresponsible. Scripture cautions us against that. But I am saying that our plans always need to allow for a degree of trust. Practical trust. Jesus, we're banking on you here. We can't see the full picture. We don't really know what's going to happen. We've done our bit, but from here on we trust you. Being on mission with Jesus requires trusting Jesus. Now for the last thing. And I've got to tell you, the last thing is somewhat curious. You've got to kind of wonder where this, this whole story of John the Baptist's beheading fits into this passage. You know, the passage finishes uh, in, in verse 30, and I'm, I didn't give this for Anika to read, but in, in verse 30, that's the next verse down from where we stopped. We read that the apostles gathered around Jesus and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. They said, oh man, this is what happened when we trusted Jesus, when we went out on mission. And I, I have this picture of they were stoked, they were excited. They, they, they saw and did a lot of stuff that, that kind of switched them on. And they come back and they report all to Jesus in verse 30. And then between those two things, this writer of the gospel, Mark, puts this story of John the Baptist in there how he dies. Our question is, is there a connection? 
Is Mark trying to tell us something? Why talk about John the Baptist in the context of the mission of Jesus' disciples? I think there is a point. Here it is. Following Jesus means dying for Jesus. Following Jesus means dying for Jesus. I won't reread that whole section to you, but the truth is John the Baptist was a man who followed Jesus to the nth degree. It meant he offended the wrong people. It meant for him, his head ended on a platter. What happens with us? What happens for you, for me, Christians today, if we decide to answer this call and purchase this expensive flight? Well, we can start with the obvious. We can start with the 31-year-old woman in Syria who has worked with Jesus all her life, who has trusted him, who understands that she will die with Jesus in horribly literal terms as she kneels down to be beheaded after her child's been ripped away from her. There are people in our world who pay this price. They do. Even now, even right now, for all we know, someone is physically dying for Jesus in our world. Her unthinkably painful situation is catered for in Mark's words to us. Jesus unequivocally says that. This may happen. But still, what about me? Chances are you and I will not be beheaded where we live. How does this apply to us? Consider this. Consider the single parent who lives and worked with Jesus all her life here in Devonport who recently decided to delay the re-landscaping of her backyard so that she can make a generous online donation towards the relief of persecuted Christians and that after her 16-year-old daughter has come home crying from a school camp where she has given her testimony of faith in Jesus and sees being brutally slaughtered for it online by her friends. There's a price tag there. There's a death of self-interest. There's a death of wanting to live for myself and what I think I deserve and am entitled to. It's not sealed by blood, but it is well and truly a death to self. By no means would our sacrifices in this Western world in which we live be as severe, perhaps, as our brothers and sisters in other parts. But we should be under no illusion that Christ is calling us to die to ourselves, to live for him and not for ourselves. Hmm. Does all this sound severe? Does all this sound lucrative? Does it sound attractive? (laughs) Not really. Not really. So why would you do it? Why why on earth would you commit to a life like this? Why on earth would you say, yes, I'll sign up. I'll go through with it. I'll pay the price. I will 
go through whatever following Jesus is going to bring my way. I'll finish with this. You see, the more expensive flight that I bought in the beginning of the illustration was by far the better one. <laughs> it had better departure and arrival times. It had a shorter flight time. I even got food on the plane. You know, I could have saved that five bucks and gone for the cheaper one, but I would have lost out heaps in ultimate value in the world of flight luxuries. Especially airline coffee. Isn't that just the best? Listen to these words from the Apostle Paul. He talks about what it's like to work with Jesus. He's worked with Jesus intensely. And here's what he says about the difficulties that comes with it. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. (laughs) For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. (laughs) What's coming? What Christ is in the process of doing already now and will be fulfilled at the completion of time is not worth comparing to even having your head handed to some despot on a plate. Our understanding of who Christ is and what he is doing and where we are headed needs to be magnified and enlarged to such an extent that there is nothing that could happen to us in this life that would convince us that it's not worth it. It is worth it. It's the better flight. It is the better option. For Jesus, the glory of the resurrection was worth the agony of the cross. For you and me, the glory of seeing God igniting the faith in a person far outweighs the agony of suffering for their sake. The hardships of mission in this life cannot be compared to the joys it will bring in the next. So pathway is the pitch. Let us seek for the Holy Spirit to Give us a hunger, a hunger to work with Jesus, a hunger to trust in Jesus. And when it comes to it, a hunger to suffer with Jesus. Please pray with me. Our Father, we come before you perhaps, first of all, with with the degree of confession and and say that we we often struggle and we often forget of why you've put us here and why we're not with you yet because we're here with a job to do. I pray that you will stir in us such a great, deep, burning and passionate desire to do that job. Lord, I thank you for the extent to which we see it done already in this church, both here in Devonport and beyond. Pour your spirit into us. Make us even more passionate. Give us an even stronger desire. And Lord, let us celebrate the ignition of faith of so many. We want to work with you. We want to trust in you. And Lord, By your grace, we are willing to suffer for you.
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.